welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with the permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 31st of October 2019, here at Colin Chance House in Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Paddy Fellows, welcome back our friend pa Paddy, Moira Lowe mm -hmm. and Jules Watkin. Our sound engineer is Barry Hurd. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering tonight. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays, on this day, and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but following listeners' requests, these have moved to a new spot following the closing music. So if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. I've also been asked to tell you that at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, only on CDs and tape. Don't forget that recordings are also available on podcast also. Please let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you. And a message can be left on your un in our answer phone, Worcester 01905 767 766, or add a note to your wallet. And we do ask listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. Right, we'll start with birthdays, and we have just one this week. It's Brian Ferris, whose birthday is on November the 3rd. Happy birthday, Brian, when it comes. We'll follow now with the thought for the week, read by Paddy Fellows. And that's from Exodus 14, v. 26 to 29. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Thank you, Paddy. Now some useful telephone numbers. Out of hours medical help between 6 and 8pm, 0300 
1233211. NHS non-emergency 111. Worcester Live, that's the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, Henry Sandon Hall, Worcester 611427. Malvern Theatre. 01684-892277 Worcester Hub for Council Matters Worcester 765765 or 72233 Crime Stoppers 0800 one and finally, Samaritans, a free phone number, double one six one two three. Now I'll ask the team to begin reading the headline and the headline articles and to introduce themselves as they do so. So I'll start off with Friday, October the 25th for which the headline is Jailed for Biting Baby. Mm. A young woman who mm. bit a baby's face just a week after she had avoided prison for smashing a woman's head off a takeaway counter is now behind bars. Cara Drummond sobbed and held her head in her hands throughout the proceedings as she appeared at Worcester Crown Court yesterday via video link from prison. John Brotherton, prosecuting, told the court that Drummond had bitten the baby and left a bite mark on the infant's left cheek causing bruising. Mr Brotherton said the 22-year-old, who lived in Worcester, had been frustrated that the baby would not stop crying when she was at a house in Evesham in May the 18th last year and that the infant had screamed after being bitten. I think so. Not surprising. Mr Brotherton argued there had been significant force in the bite and pointed out that Drummond had tried to blame another child for the bite. The court heard that the baby's nursery raised concerns regarding the bite mark and the police were informed. Mr Brotherton said, On May the 22nd last year, police had new information and arrived at her home. She broke down and immediately admitted she had bitten the child. On the biting, Abigail Nixon, defending Drummond, said... There was no breaking of the skin. It faded, it needed no treatment. There is a little physical harm. There is little physical harm. There was no significant force. It was a momentary lapse in judgment when she was tired. Oh, that's all right then, isn't it? Miss Nixon said her client had been diagnosed with a personality disorder and her mental health and unstable behaviour led to outbursts such as when she bit the child. 
the court heard that Drummond received a suspended sentence for assaulting two people in September 2017. In that incident, Drummond had been in a takeaway in Bridge Street, Evesham, and grabbed the victim by her hair before smashing her head into a counter, leaving her with facial injuries. After leaving the takeaway, the victim's friend had approached Drummond, who then punched her, causing an injury to her nose. Drummond also had other outstanding matters, a failure to attend magistrate's court in May and a separate charge of criminal damage. In that incident, she had been at her home in Mount Street, Redditch, on April 28th, drinking with friends. Mr. Brotherton explained that her friend had spoken about a breakup with another man, which led Drummond to suddenly go out and throw brown sauce and flour over his car and leave aggressive messages on his answer phone. Mr. Brotherton added that Drummond had 22 previous convictions, which included assaults and dishonesty. Ms. Nixon said, there was a lot more to the takeaway incident, which she hoped the judge would take into account, and said the criminal damage had happened after Drummond had been tipped over the edge, after receiving some distressing personal news. Miss Nixon added, she is now realistic and knows she is receiving a custodial sentence which will probably save her life. Judge Nicholas Cartwright told Drummond that she could have been sent to prison for smashing the woman's face on the counter of the takeaway, but was spared jail. However, she would now be locked up. You would have been sent to the prison for that. You received a suspended sentence. The judge would have warned you. You were at risk of having a three-month jail sentence imposed if you offended again, he told Drummond yesterday. But in a few days, you bit the child. Sentencing her, the judge said, You are 22. You have the majority of your life ahead of you. Up to now, you have been lacking self-discipline. In the reports I have read again and again, you say you never felt you had the support you needed or requested. In the end, there is only one person who can help you, and that is you. Drummond was jailed for a total of 14 months, which includes the activation of the suspended sentence of two months, 10 months for assaulting or ill-treating a child, one month for criminal damage, and another month for failing to surrender to the court. Hi, this is Jules, and the story I'm reading is entitled Teen Raises Alarm Over Missing Friend. A backpacker from Worcester has raised the alarm over a woman missing in Cambodia since Wednesday night. Ryan Harris, 18, is part of a group travelling the Asian country with Amelia Bainbridge, who is from Worthing, Sussex, and has gone missing in Koh Rong. Ryan moved on to another island with plans to link up back with Miss Bainbridge, but her passport is still at the hospital she stayed at, and he says he's been told that her phone, purse and money were found unattended on a nearby beach. Cambodian police have been informed, but Ryan said there had been indicated nothing would be done until Miss Bainbridge had been missing for 72 hours. She was one of the first people I met here about a week ago, said Ryan. I met her in Phnom Penh, and we got to the boat to Khon Rong, 
We all spent a few days together and met up with a few other people in a big group. We went on to a neighbouring island, but she stayed there with another girl I know, who had travelled with us on the boat over. I then had to travel back to Koh Rong after leaving my passport at the hostel, and when I got there, two people told me she had gone missing. I assumed she would turn up, but I've been... I assume she would turn up, but I have since travelled another 12 hours on a bus to Seam Reap, and she still has not been found. She is supposed to be in Seam Reap by now. From my experience, I would say it is out of character for her not to come back after a few hours, and it is a small island. Even if you go your separate ways after a few drinks, you see people again 10 or 20 minutes later, she should have come back by now. Ryan explained that the hostel held passports to ensure customers paid the bill, but that Miss Bainbridge had not gone back for hers. She hasn't gone back for that or checked out, which raises a red flag, he added. I don't know who has her belongings, but they have been told her purse, money and phone have been found. Ryan added yesterday afternoon, it is nearly 48 hours now. That's a long time not to be seen on such a small island. Ryan says he understood that the family of Miss Bainbridge, 21, have been in contact with Cambodian police since her disappearance. Hello, it's Moira. My headline is Homes to be Built Despite Backlash. Controversial plans to build three homes in a narrow street in Worcester have been approved despite neighbours and parents saying they will make parking problems even worse. Three homes will be built on overground land on the corner of Vicar Street and Rainbow Rise off Rainbow Hill in Worcester. Many residents had spoken out against the scheme due to the chaotic parking, traffic and safety concerns, but the proposal was nevertheless backed in principle by Worcester City Council's planning committee last Thursday. The third Worcester Scouts group, which is based in Rainbow Rise, had objected to the application, saying parking was already a major issue for neighbours and that drop-off and pick-up times for the Scouts group were problematic, with the only available space on street and in Rainbow Rise. The group had already changed its meeting times after traffic and parking problems. The group was also concerned that future residents of one of the new homes, which would overlook the Scout Hut and Raindrops Nursery, which is also based in the building, would be disturbed by the constant noise. Councillors said it was a derelict piece of land which had been unkempt for several years and building homes would be the best use for it. Councillor Joe Hodges said, There is some on-street parking, but it is not sufficient for all the cars and houses. And so we've got an area of land that is sort of unofficially adopted as somewhere where you can leave your car, but that doesn't mean we have to protect that right to park your car there. There is sufficient parking for the proposal that is before us, and we would have to ensure it had that if it came forward as a more detailed planning application. I don't think putting three houses there would make the road any more dangerous than it is now. Councillor Jenny Barnes said three homes would fit very well and it would be a good use of the site and Councillor Pat Agar said it was a derelict piece of land that she would like to see cleared up. Several residents in Vicar Street said roads were too narrow and would not cope with the extra cars from new homes. They said delivery lorries and other heavy goods vehicles would not be able to turn around in Vicar Street. The original plan for four homes was reduced to three homes after discussions with the council. Plans had already been provided for the number of parking spaces which satisfied the council's rules. Karen Hatchett from the Highways Department at Worcester County Council recognised the street was narrow and parking for residents was already tight and congested. 
She said future applications for the site would not be supported if they did not provide the adequate number of parking spaces. More than 60 objections were made by neighbours opposing the plan, largely over parking and traffic problems. Anna Lewis of Aswood Road said, With the surrounding area already being overpopulated and largely built up, adding to this with such implausible plans will cause further issues regarding parking and traffic flow. As a resident of a property in close proximity, this road gives many a place to park for those who already lack parking. Further, it will be dangerously chaotic to erect these buildings with the prolonged use of large vehicles being needed for this project to occur. Mm -hmm. Vehicles and people of all ages, including children, regularly use this road to access properties and businesses, potentially putting their welfare at jeopardy for a considerable amount of time. I have a picture of Worcester in flood on the front page of Tuesday, October the 29th paper and the river levels are yet to peak is the headline. The river levels in Worcester have yet to peak with significant amount of water still to come down the Severn in the next couple of days following weekend rainfall. This uh, was, when was it? Tuesday. Much of England and Wales saw 36 hours of constant rain, <clears throat> with river levels in the city rising to their highest since the floods of February 2014. Including both North and South Worcester, there were 82 flood warnings and 111 flood alerts in place across the UK yesterday. David Throop, who is the Environment Agency Manager for Herefordshire and Worcestershire, said there's a quite a lot still to come, referring to the vast amounts of water flowing down the Severn from Shrewsbury. Speaking in Worcester City Centre, he told us it's not going to peak in Worcester today. All that water is imminent over the next two or three days. Mr Throop said he was working closely with the colleagues from Worcestershire County Council's Highways Department as they kept a close eye on the city centre roads. With river water continuing to slowly spill out, Hilton and Tybridge were just two of a number that were at risk of closure. All we can do is to keep a very close eye on it, said Mr Throop. Tybridge and Hilton are getting very close. If it does rise another 10 or 30 centimetres, we'll have to close the roads. He added, however, that despite the levels expected to keep rising for a matter of days, road closures were most likely on Monday or, or overnight into Tuesday. Between Saturday morning and Sunday morning, the emergency services rescued 70 people from flood-related incidents, 36 of which involved cars. This was according to Michael Cadman of Hereford and Worcester Fire Service, who also said extra control staff were drafted in over the weekend to help keep on top of the sheer volume of calls. These included three people stuck in a car in Green Lane, Droitwich, on Saturday morning, which saw police officers and dogs, firefighters and an ambulance crew all mucking in to get them to safety. Another incident saw a 17-year-old boy 
rescued from his car in Millbank, Flatbury. Referring to driving through water, Mr Throop said, never do it, because not only are you putting yourself at risk, but also the emergencies who come to save you. We've seen dozens of rescues over the weekend. Some of them were life-threatening stuff. And there are obviously further pictures later on in the paper. So, uh, I think... Thanks, Paddy. My headline is from the following day, but it's very much related, except the headline is not quite so circumspect. The headline is Floody Idiot. Stay out of water, warning. Shocking video has been captured of a man wading through waist-high flood water near the Severn as the river level rose. And the picture shows just that. Deep water, swan on the water, and a man up to his waist in the water. An eyewitness has said they were speechless when they saw the man on Sunday lunchtime. And a fire service station commander has said he put himself and others in danger. Nick Charles Dyson said he had been out with family taking photos of the swans near a usual riverside path that was submerged underwater when they suddenly spotted him. We were speechless, Mr Dyson said. This man decided to go for a walk in the flooded river only in jeans and a coat. I shouted at the man to return as I thought he might be suicidal. Mm. He carried on walking without acknowledging me or turning round. He then veered over to the side of Browns at the quay. Mm. He was hidden from view. I take it that he came out of water safely. I used to be in the ambulance service. The only reason I didn't call emergency services was that he was able to walk around Browns. The Kroll resident posted a video taken by his partner, Isabel, to social media, which in just a few days has been viewed hundreds of times. The video shows the man moving slowly, following the usual path with swans nearby. Lee Watson, Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service station commander, said people should never walk into flood water. They cannot possibly be aware of any dangers which might not be visible. These might include, for example, lifted manholes, which could expose them to the risk of falling deep into drains from which they would be unable to escape. They cannot see the edge of the path, so might stray into deep water, and neither can they see street furniture, which they might fall over and get entangled in. People carrying out such acts not only put themselves in danger, but also those who might be called upon to rescue them. Well, this story is called Vandals Run Amok at Primary School. <clears throat> Vandals smashed windows, broke fence panels and threw flower pots across the playground of a city school. Police say they are investigating the criminal damage which has angered staff and pupils, as well as neighbours living close to Cherry Orchard Primary School. The school in Timberline Close was vandalised overnight, into the early hours of Tuesday morning. The school is currently closed for half-term, but on its official Twitter account, staff wrote, To the vandals who came in and caused this damage, 
I hope you feel proud of yourselves for destroying the hard work of others. To our school community, if you have any info on who did this, don't sit on it. Share it with the school and we will share it with the police. They ended the message with COPS, the school's initials, and a heart sign. It is understood the damage has now been cleared up ahead of the school reopening next week. Yesterday, neighbours told us that they were disgusted the school had been targeted, saying they thought it must be used out to cause trouble and added the area was generally quiet. Once told us the last time they could remember any issues was nearby allotments were vandalised, but they said this had been a while ago. On the school's Twitter post, one person wrote, Really sorry to see this, absolutely shameless, while others offered to help clean up the race cash for the school. Sarah Hughes, West Mercia Police's community support officer for the area, said officers were treating the offence as criminal damage. She said the vandals would have gained entry coming from the fields at the back. We are investigating as criminal damage they did, where they did go into the school. Hopefully we can catch them. PCSO Hughes added that they were not linking it to further reports of criminal damage that happened in Bath Road on Tuesday night. At around 5pm, play equipment in the park off Bath Road was set on fire, with the blaze having to be put out by firefighters. Anyone with information on the vandalism is asked to call police on 101, quoting 135S for the school damage and 472S for the fire. Alternatively, call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 Now we'll have some sports articles, so Moira, your turn first. Okay, a bit of rugby union then. Worcester Warriors will have a plan to eliminate the threat of massive Northampton Saints. Wing Tagel Nayaravaro. Sorry if that's not right. According to experienced Locke Anton Bresler. Standing at 6 foot 4 inches and weighing 19 stone 5, the powerhouse back caused havoc when the two sides last met as he scored in a 38-10 thrashing in May. Warriors will come up against him again today, 2pm, so that was Saturday, when they visit Franklin's Gardens in the Galahad Premiership. Bresler admits he is extremely quick and hard to bring down, but he's confident Warriors backs will be able to reduce his impact on the match. I am a lock, so he is quite far away from me on the field, but there are ways to expose those sorts of players and keep them out of the game, Bresler said. I'm sure the backs have spoken about ways to eliminate what he has to offer. I'm pretty sure they have worked on those things. He is just a massive human that is extremely quick and hard to bring down. You have to just try to not let him get the ball in his hands, and if he does, you need to put loads of pressure on him. However, Bresler 31 insists Warriors cannot afford to focus all their attention on him, as he believes Saints have a young side that can produce some magic. Northampton are without Wales fly half Dan Bigger, South Africa scrum half Cobius Reinach, and the England trio of centre Piers Francis, Lock Courtney Laws, and back rower Lewis Ludlam due to the Rugby World Cup. But Chris Boyd's side kicked off the league season with a shock victory at reigning champion Saracens last weekend. Even without their big names, they have a strong pack and can be very unpredictable at times, with their backs chucking the ball around, Bresler said. They can produce some magic. Um, Nariavaro is one threat, but they have a youthful backline that loves playing and has a spark about them. I think any one of those boys is a threat, and their strong pack is a threat too. Every player has to do their analysis and do what it takes to not only stop them, but get on top of them. 
Bresler also believes some Vestry's coaching techniques have rubbed off on Saints players since leaving Warriors to become the club's attack coach in 2018. Of course, he has made an impact, Bresler said. When Sam was here, he was great. He has learned a lot working under their new management and added quite a lot to them too. Now, my piece is about netball <clears throat> and the uni student, Lucy Herdman, who has signed for Seven Stars. The 23-year-old shooter will combine her studies with playing for Stars, where she previously played in the under-21s. Herdman, who features for the England Nets team in a variation on traditional netball, said, I can't wait to start the Super League season representing my local franchise. It's going to be an exciting season working with Star's new head coach and players. The student, who splits her time between her home city of Coventry and Worcester, has already completed a degree in sports development and coaching at the university and is currently studying for a master's in sports coaching. Herdman earned 16 caps for England nets at under-21 level, including the under-21 World Championships 2016 in New Zealand, where the team came third. She now has 15 caps playing for England Nets senior team, including the World Championships in South Africa this year, where the side also placed third. She moves to Stars, a joint franchise between the University of Worcester and University of Gloucestershire from Celtic Dragons. Herdman will continue to play for Worcester Reds in the West Midlands Regional Premier League and for the university team. She's also played for the Worcester Wolves Ladies National League basketball team. I'm looking forward to working with a new coach and exciting players and thriving on the support from the fans. I hope I can bring a different style to the shooting circle for my team. My basketball background makes my style of play unique with a slight flair to my game. My aim for this season is to continue developing my game, push for court time and help stars finish in the top four. Herdman is on the university's sports scholarship programme, giving her financial and academic support as well as access to specialist lifestyle advice and helping fit her studies around her sporting commitments. Time management is the key to success, she said about handling both, but being able to fit it in all of my master's work and job as a netball coach at a school will be much easier this year due to training closer to home. Herdman joins a star's lineup, which so far includes New Zealand star Liana Leota, Welsh internationals Nia Jones, Bethan Dyke, Georgia Rowe, Paige Reed, Lucy Harris, and Ella Powell Davis. New head coach Melissa Bessel said, I'm really happy to have Lucy on board this season. Lucy is a local girl who has been studying at the university for the past four years. So this is not only important for development within our region, but super exciting for Seven Stars. She has a tremendous amount of talent, and I'm really looking forward to working with her this season. This is a new-look team, and Lucy will be adding another exciting dimension to it. 
This is a fishing story, Worcester Star wins Memorial Match on Y. Worcester Star, Tim Noak, tamed the difficult conditions that greeted the 30 competitors on River White Hereford to be crowned this year's Alan Reynolds Memorial Champion. Although the river was carrying around six feet of extra water, weights were good with Bleak making it most of the top catches. Drawn a peg 61, the club winner, Noak, set his stall for the tiny fish from the off, netting around 800 samples on a short pole and maggot setup to give him a five-hour total weight of 30 pounds, zero ounces. On the opposite bank was local legend Stuart Harford, who used similar tactics on peg 88 to record a second place 27 to 10. Nick Young was third with another all-bleak catch of 27 to 4. The top non-bleak weight was from fourth place Alan Baldwin, whose peg 96 chub and dace catch of 24 to 6 beat Dennis Yeoman's all-roach 22nd to 8 from peg 90. Section prizes went to Chris Taylor, Anthony Taylor, John Halfpenny, Ray Downey and Colin Harvey. Thanks, Jules. Right, the next thing is on this day. And this is a look back into the past to events on o October the 31st in various years in our history. So on this day, Halloween, in 1517, according to legend, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenburg, inadvertently sparking the Reformation which split the church. On this day, in 1795, lyric poet John Keats was born in London. On this day, 1940, the Battle of Britain ended. The RAF lost 915 aircraft, the Luftwaffe 1,733. On this day in 1955, Princess Margaret announced that she would not marry Captain Peter Townsend, a divorcee. On this day, 1958, Dr. Acker Senning implanted the first internal heart pacemaker in Stockholm. On this day in 1971, a terrorist bomb exploded at the top of the post office tower in London. And on this day, 1984, Mrs. Indira Gandhi, Prime Minister of India, was shot dead by two Sikh members of her bodyguard in New Delhi. And of course, there have been several assassinations um, of the political Gandhi family over the years. On this day last year, never before seen images offering fresh evidence that a supermassive black hole lurks at the centre of the Milky Way were revealed. Mm. Right, now to readers' letters. I'll kick off then with from Friday, October the 25th, Fairpoint article mm. and about the nuisance of gulls in oh, no. the city. Mm. Apparently, councillors have mm. been trying to do something about them, but mm. have been warned that legally to try to just shoot them or do anything that direct would be legally unacceptable and land them in trouble. The gulls are a nuisance, but is killing them really the answer? 
It was interesting to hear councillors in Worcester agree to discuss a gull cull. I'm sure the news was welcomed by a fair few people in the city, but is a cull really the best way to go? They are a nuisance. I've had my car repainted by many times by the gulls, but killing them seems a bit excessive. That being said, the measures already implemented to try and solve the problem don't appear to have worked. And this summer seemed to be the worst ever for people getting attacked by gulls. Fundamentally, the issue lies with our human impact on our surroundings. Gulls are scavengers, and the more litter we leave lying around, the more their numbers swell. If we were really serious about solving the gull problem, we would all agree to be a bit more conscious about where we throw our old food wrappers and leftovers. You don't have to walk very far in Worcester before you see some food or packaging left by a careless individual. If we took a bit more pride in our city and were a bit less lazy, we would put all our rubbish in bins and the gulls would move on, seeing that their main source of food had gone. This is a far simpler, cheaper and less bloody way to deal with the problem. The chances are that even if we kill every gull in the county, more will come and the problem would not go away. I would rather see us take better care of our streets, pick up the rubbish we throw down and make the city tidier. A cleaner city would mean less of other types of vermin like rats and mice. So maybe we should all just be a bit more conscientious and take proper care of our environment rather than just kill uh, the gulls. On top of all that, won't thousands of dead birds cause its own problems with disease and decay, depending on how they choose to cull them? It would be interesting to see where the discussions go as far as the legal case for culling the gulls, but I would be surprised to see it succeed. There are too many environmental and moral problems thrown up by it. We should be stewards of our planet, and no species, even nuisance ones like gulls, should suffer because of our actions. Well, this is, excuse me, this is entitled... Um, it won't be end of matter. Sir, just a thought for those thinking that getting Brexit done will be an end to it. The Battle of the Boyne in 1690 was meant to resolve a divided nation in Ireland, but that split is still alive and kicking to this day. Even if a further referendum changed the decision, the genie is out of the bottle. And that was from Derek Fernside in Worcester. OK, I've, I've got a fair point to read as well. This is from today, but I've just got to read this. The, its title of We Do All Have That Ability to Turn a Negative into a Positive. Floodwaters threatened to bring the city to a complete standstill, but it is splendid to see one man epitomising the British spirit by turning a negative into a positive. Pensioner John Mason, President of the Poic and Callowen branch of the Royal British Legion, spent hours collecting for the poppy appeal from car drivers stuck in traffic due to floods. His story went viral on social media and he said at the time, I carried on until I was getting a bit tired and I need to have a stretch of my legs. Wonderful. 
No doubt his resourcefulness was in equal part a military and generational thing. But seeing his photo standing there on the road, proud as punch, collecting money, and no doubt bringing a smile to frustrated commuters, has certainly made me smile. His little run-in with police did not last long, and he was handed a high-vis jacket from a concerned motorist. He told the BBC so that, could, so that he could continue raising vital funds for a cause which helps servicemen and their families in times of need. People like Mr Mason, their attitude to life is infectious and once he intended to do something, the universe conspires to make it happen. I do not doubt if his intention was to get to Australia that day without buying a plane ticket, it would happen. Many readers took to the Facebook page of the Worcester News in praise of him and I think his story has touched so many because we all see a little part of him inside us all. Some have more confidence than others to let that part shine. Mr Mason's easy option on that day would have been to stay at home and watch television, but easy is clearly not his way. I'm not sure of his backstory, which led him to this point, but he probably drove to the site or he might have been stuck in traffic like everyone else. We could all look at situations in our own lives and take inspiration from Mr Mason, who is not scared to go against the stream, finding that part of him deep within us all. If I ever get to meet him, I would love to sit down and chat to him over a drink about his life. No doubt wonderful experiences in life. Well done, Mr Mason. Now, I thought I'd got a brilliant piece to read you, which is Peace Without Those Gulls. But it uh, has a sad ending. How peaceful it is in Worcester City Centre. Now the huge flock of seagulls have departed, taking 100 plus fledglings with them. After heavy rain, it has washed the streets clean of the putrid, acidic droppings that they left behind. Sadly, the buildings are spattered over the nice brickwork and more difficult to remove. Next spring, they will return from their winter sun, as in previous years. More than ever, another summer of misery. We've got till next spring to persuade them not to stay and so cut off their food supply. And that's from J.E. Witt, Whitehead of Worcester. Don't drive so fast, please, says this letter from C.D. Lee of Worcester. Sir, I am concerned by the amount of traffic that speeds through the city, particularly on residential streets. Surprisingly, some of the culprits are doing the school run, where I thought caution would prevail. It is potentially dangerous to all, especially when combined with illegal and considerate park inconsiderate parking. Some delivery vans are also serial offenders, desperate to make deadlines. I know most of us now have our lives delivered in a box, but please slow down so we don't end up in one prematurely. Perhaps we can have some random speed checks to remind drivers of their obligations. And here's a letter entitled, Get Them Off Their Cycles, from DG Hoist from Worcester. Sir, now is the time to ban cyclists from the pedestrian area in the city centre. There is no reason why they cannot dismount and become pedestrians in a pedestrian area during this period. If they were responsible for their actions, it might be different. Some bike riders race to the pedestrians missing, walking sticks by inches. Some with their wheels above the heads of the people walking. 
put a ban on it now before, as in London, somebody is seriously hurt and the cyclist jailed. The reactions of the elderly is not as swift as these youngsters. Can any of your readers think of one reason why they should not be di- why they should not dismount and become pedestrians in the pedestrianised areas? Okay, my letters from G Penn of Worcester, sir. I read with interest about the Northern Orbital, and I wholeheartedly agree it was a big mistake not to finish it. I've lived in Worcester all my life and 44 years in St John's. I know we need homes, but all the traffic it causes... This is really badly written, sorry. But all the traffic it causes means we are slowly being crushed in St John's. The final link would have saved all this. The money could have gone to better things. I hope the people who contested the orbital are happy with what they have caused. Right, this is a... A thought from Councillor Andy Roberts. It comes with the territory. So, candidates for political office know the value of getting their name in the Worcester News. A ruse sometimes used is to make a spiteful or inaccurate remark in a letter to the editor. The hope is that the victim will respond so the candidate can come back with a further dig. Object achieved. With little effort and no service to the public, the candidate's name has appeared in the paper three times. Worcester News readers are too sophisticated to fall for such tricks, so I'll answer a recent jibe by pointing out that, against a decline in bus use and service cuts, I've had some wins. I successfully lobbied to keep a local hospital bus albeit at a reduced service, had improvements made to the school bus route, got two new bus shelters for school pupils and had other shelters repaired. I'm now lobbying to have the Lowesmore bus priority route enforced. This would cut our local bus's journey time and, hopefully, get First Midland to reverse its decision about removing the Warnden Tesco bus stop. I've also arranged for two new shelters to be provided at nearby stops, in case this doesn't happen. I didn't trumpet these successes because I think it's what's expected of a local councillor and a regular bus user who puts service to the public above political ambition. There you are, that's Andy Roberts blowing his own trumpet. Good for him. Right, Mm. so now Mm. to Mm. some Mm. articles from Mm. the Worcester News during the week. And mine is headed First Class, City Secondary School Named Best in the County. Top accolade for City's High School. Nunnery Ward High School is the best secondary school in Worcestershire, the government's latest league tables show. And the school head says its success is down to its staff, students and parents, who he describes as wonderful. The school achieved a strong score in the Progress 8 measure, used to assess how much pupils have improved during their time at the school, for the 2018-19 academic year. 
It replaces St Augustine's Catholic High School, Redditch, as the highest-ranking school in Worcestershire. Nunnery Wood High School has 1,349 registered pupils, 240 of whom were eligible to take GCSEs last year. Head Steve Powell said, We're delighted. We're blessed with wonderful students, staff and parents. And it's a source of great pride that the school has had several high rankings in recent years. Under Progress 8, pupils are measured across their scores in eight GCSEs, including the core subjects of English, Maths and Sciences, and their best scores in other chosen subjects. Schools with missing or incomplete data were excluded from the rankings. In Nunnery Wood High School, 68.8% of pupils hit the expected target, grade 4 to 9 in English and Maths. 47.9% hit strong grades of 5 or above in both subjects. As a result, the school achieved a Progress 8 score of <coughs> 0.52 Worcester's highest. Scores of above and below zero are better and worse than average, respectively. Other Worcestershire schools that did well in the assessments, according to their Progress 8 scores, were Hanley Castle High School in second place, 0.38, the De Montfort School Evesham in fourth place, 0.30, the Chantry School Martley in sixth place, 0.23, Bishop Perone CE College, Worcester, in 7th place, 0.18, and Christopher Whitehead Language College, Worcester, in 9th place, 0.15. New drug helps son. A mum from Worcester says she feels like she had won the lottery after a deal was done which could add years to her son's life. Yvonne Molly's son, Oscar, suffers from cystic fibrosis and she was reacting to the news that Olcambi, a drug which can be used to treat the condition, will be available on the NHS. She said, As soon as I saw the news, I didn't believe it. I asked the CF community if they had heard anything. As soon as the news was confirmed, I became overwhelmed and cried all day. Seeing my son struggle at times absolutely breaks my heart. I can now see a future for him, one where there is quality in his life and added years to his life. Oscar has cultured pseudonomas, bacteria which can cause lung infections, twice causing damage to his lungs in the first year. If I'm honest, I never believed this deal would happen and I really spiralled down with thoughts of his life expectancy. Knowing these precision medicines were out there and were not available for my child to access them was torturous. I feel like I've won the lottery today. I look at myself and see a future of hope. I cannot thank everyone who has campaigned tirelessly for these precision medicines enough. NHS England announced on Thursday that it has seen a definite agreement with Vertex Pharmaceuticals to make available all three of their UK-licensed cystic fibrosis medicines. This means NHS patients will now have full access to Orkambi, Simkevi and Kaidoko, and around 5,000 people may now take up these treatments. There is no cap on patient numbers and every patient in England who might benefit can now get these treatments free on the NHS. Clinicians will be able to begin prescribing these drugs within 30 days. The condition is currently incurable. Health Secretary Matt Hancock took to Twitter and said, Some wonderful news this morning. We've agreed a deal to provide Orkambi and other life-saving cystic fibrosis drugs on the NHS.
Huge thanks to the many campaigners who have worked so hard and to Vertex and the NHS. The deal applies to patients in Wales, Northern Ireland as well as England. A long established jewellers in Worcester is closing its doors after 16 years. Ruth Quartermain, who runs Ice Fine Jewellery in Chapel Walk, has decided to close the business on December the 31st in order to spend more time with her family. She said, I'm incredibly enthusiastic about the business and I've relished the experience of running it. Operating a retail premises is a lifestyle choice and it's something I've dedicated myself to for many years. But now the time has come to step back and be present in the lives of my family. Mrs Quartermain said she's excited to become a grandmother for the first time and plans to spend time with loved ones and help both of her daughters with running their own businesses. She said, the decision came about mainly because our youngest is expecting her first baby after Christmas, so it has come to the point where it feels like the right thing to do. It feels like the time is right. I've been here for 15 years and it has been a big part of my life in that time. It is a change, but you have to adapt to changes in life. The shop has a returning customer base of more than 20,000 customers. Mrs Quartermain has been in the industry for more than 20 years and said she would miss her customers and her store. She added, I'm going to miss Ice and all the wonderful customers who I've had the pleasure of meeting over the years. To say farewell in style, we're going to be holding a spectacular closing down sale and we're reducing the price of jewellery stock by a massive 50%. A huge thank you should go out to all the regular customers we have had over the years. We always try to help people rather than having them pounced on by salespeople. The closing down sale starts on November the 2nd. Ice was one of the three jewellers shops run by the Ian Quartermain Group. There is now only one shop in the group still open, Ian Quartermain's in Reindeer Court, after the other shop, located next door, was closed in September 2018 after the lease expired. Now this is a piece about homelessness. <clears throat> The City Council claims all ten recommendations to improve rough sleeper services made after an independent review following the death of a homeless man have been implemented. However, a homelessness campaigner believes this is long overdue and is still papering over some of the cracks. The results of the review into Carden Banfield's death in 2016 were released last year, revealing several missed opportunities on the part of the authorities that may have kept him on the streets unnecessarily. The recommendations include an audit of skills and knowledge for staff in all partner agencies, implementing an alert system to better keep track of rough sleepers, and publicising how the public can raise concern about rough sleepers. A progress report, which says all have been put into practice, will be considered by the Council's Communities Committee on Wednesday, October the 30th. I hope it went well. Councillor James Stanley, Chair of the Communities Committee, said across Worcestershire, support for rough sleepers is provided in partnership by a range of agencies and every single one of them was moved by the tragic death of Mr Banfield. Most of the recommendations have been achieved within the specified time frame laid out in the report. 
But campaigner Hugo Sugg believes these implementations are overdue by one and a half years and claims there are still many more questions to be asked. Over the last three years, the council has got funding of over a million pounds, including from government, yet we have an outreach service that isn't sufficient for a county and has no accommodation outcomes, said Mr Sugg. The somewhere safe to stay 24-hour night shelter due to open at the Salvation Army is two months out of date, he continued, while the county has seen at least four more deaths since Mr Banfield. I sadly expect another death in Worcestershire this winter, and the question is who? <coughs> Both officers and councillor councillors is responsible and where are they not being held accountable said Mr Sugg losing lives is not a game this is serious he added a council spokesman said the 1.1 million pound government funding secured over the last two years for the county was supposed oh sorry supported a range of initiatives to help rough sleepers they added between July 2017 and July 2019, specialist workers engaged and supported 100 people who were at risk of rough sleeping and prevented all but one doing so. One of a third, further 137 people who were already sleeping rough, 124 were helped into accommodation and extra resources to engage with entrenched rough sleepers were provided to the MAGS Outreach and Transition Service, which is M-O-A-T-S. Other services include No Second Night Out, the Severe Weather Emergency Protocol, or SWEP, night shelters, which are open whenever the te temperatures fall to zero or below. The report to next week's Communities Committee also details progress on recommendations into the death of another rough sleeper identified as Y, which the Council has now confirmed took place in September 2017. These are said to include a range of actions involving outside agencies, such as the emergency services, the NHS and the County Council, with a spokesman saying actions are ongoing. The reviews into the deaths of Mr Banfield and Y are being considered by the Worcestershire Safeguarding Adults Board as part of a broader thematic review of rough sleeper deaths in the county over the past three years. Back in June, Mr Sugg, who is founder of Hugo's Earthquake Campaign, was angered by the City Council's refusal to release the findings of an internal review into Wise death, claiming it would breach data protection. This is despite the results of a similar review into Mr Banfield's death being released 12 months before. Well, I couldn't resist the next article. How's this for an opening sentence? Is Worcester Cathedral haunted by a bear? 
The heading is Enduring Story of City's Ghost Bear. As Halloween approaches, it's worth looking again at the remarkable legend, which has its origins way back in the days of the English Civil War, and most likely around the time of the Battle of Worcester, September 1651. This means mm. that the spectral mm. bear, assuming it still lumbers round College Green, where it was first reported, is by now a rather ancient bear. Indeed, it is not only ancient, but apparently lacking a head. <laughs> How on earth did this unusual grisly legend arise? It's certainly a haunting, which has made it into various books and onto a number of contemporary websites as an enduring claim. For instance, the online site Paranormal Database, under a listing for Worcester Cathedral and College Green, mm. claims, ever since the mm. Civil War, there have been reports of a phantom bear that rises up as if mm. to attack. One guard is said to have taken a shot at the creature, which, of course, had no effect. The story is also in books, including, including the Animals and Animal Symbols in World Culture by Dean Miller and in Superstition and Folk Remedies by Charles Raymond Dillon. However, the full original account, dating back to the 17th century, is provided by Gillian Bennett in her book A Hundred Best British Ghost Stories. She quotes in full from a book of 1691, Richard Baxter's The Certainty of the World of Spirits, and Baxter named the man who apparently saw the phantom bear. Baxter wrote... Simon Jones, a strong and healthful man of Kidderminster, it's spelt, was spelt at Kidderminster in those days, in no way inclined to melancholy or any fancies, hath oft told me that being a soldier for the king in the war against the parliament, in a clear moonshine night, as he stood sentinel in the college green at Worcester, Something like a headless bear appeared to him, and so affrighted him that he laid down his arms soon after and lived honestly, religiously, and without blame. The account was printed some 40 years after the alleged sighting of the spirit bear, which should sound a note of caution. But there are indications that there was at least some truth in Jones's account. A perusal of full moon records for 1651 mm. reveals there was a full moon on mm. August the 30th, just days before the Battle of Worcester, and the ghost is said to have appeared in a clear moonshine night. Jones said he was a royalist soldier, but were the troops of Charles II already in Worcester at that time? The answer is yes. Records show the Royalists were in Worcester by August the 22nd. However, this begs another question. Why was Jones on sentry duty on College Green? The answer is, most probably, he was protecting Royalist cavalry horses stabled in the cloisters. The writer Candice Pearson, in her study Living in Its Shadow, Worcester Cathedral and Ellen Woods the Channing, said, During the Civil War, 
Parliamentary dragoons housed troops and their horses in the cloisters. Clearly this was after the battle, when there would have been bodies too. Another writer, Habington, in his 1723 survey of Worcestershire, said the Battle of Worcester left the cloisters strewn with corpses. But the soldier who exited, pursued by a phantom bear, was certainly not among the dead. Jones told Baxter that after seeing the headless bear, he laid down his arms soon after. The subtext here, surely, is that Jones deserted his post? Ah, shocking. Did Jones invent the story of the ghost bear as an excuse for his desertion? No. It remains a possibility. I think it's not as attractive, though. But assuming that every ghost bear must have been alive at some time, why might a bear be in College Green in Worcester? The speculation must be that the bear was a victim of bear baiting, which was a popular sport in the 17th century and earlier. Naturalists agree that the brown bear went extinct in Britain just over 1,000 years ago, but in the 17th century, bears would have been imported. Accidents naturally happened. In the 16th century, according to a coroner's record, Agnes Owen from Herefordshire was killed in her bed by a runaway bear. There is one other thing with no obvious explanation. The markings high on the walls at the Edgar Tower entrance of the cathedral that do look suspiciously like claw marks. Ooh. <laughs> well, this story is entitled <clears throat> Rain Fails to Spoil Appeals Launch. Persistent rain failed to dampen the spirits of those who gathered outside Worcester Guildhall to watch this year's Poppy Appeal launch. The Met Office had put a yellow weather warning in place to the heavy rain on Saturday, which caused flooding and substantial surface water on various roads in and around the city. However, that didn't prevent a decent crowd congregating on the high street for the annual launch, which saw poppies rain down onto the steps of the hall. Mayor Aladitta launched the fundraiser and commemoration of all the fallen heroes since the First World War, though MP Robin Walker was delayed in Westminster and sent his apologies. Royal British Legion County Chairman David Waldron encouraged those in attendance to please wear that poppy with pride before making light of the miserable weather. The poppy is a symbol of remembrance, he said, from the steps of the Guildhall as the rain fell heavily. It is neither political nor religious. The first poppy appeal was in 1921. It raised just over £106,000. And that was then. Mm-hmm. The poppy appeal last year raised £54.1 million. £811,000 in Worcestershire alone. Mr Waldron went on to say, as I have said many times, I don't really care or where you wear the poppy, but I ask you, please wear the poppy with pride. Once Councillor Ditter had marked the start of the appeal, a prayer was read by RBL's Worcestershire chaplain, Reverend Peter Davis, and the last post and reveal was played by bugler Jeff Sansom. Also in attendance were RBL's county patron Angela Brinton, county president Brigadier Roger Brunt, and the Polish Heritage Society. Mr Waldron continued, Standard bearers, cadets, our bugler, Jeff, the mayor, the president and patron, and most of all of you in the public for standing there in the rain to support us. Thank you all, and I hope you haven't got too wet. 
During a short speech of his own, Councillor Ditter said, it gives me great pleasure and I hope that we will increase our appeal year on year. Mm. But there was no headless bear? Mm. No, it doesn't mention a bear at all. Mm. Uh, a schoolboy has been given a Worcestershire Good Citizen mm. Award by police. Ewan Buchanan mm. was recognised for his tireless fundraising efforts for Worcester's homeless community. He was given his award mm. at a ceremony on October the 15th at the Hindlip Police Headquarters as one of ten inspiring young people across Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Shropshire. Mm. Ewan a year nine student at Nunnery Wood High School, was presented with a certificate and a £50 voucher. Ewan said, I feel very proud. It was a very lovely evening to celebrate the hard work and dedication of young people across West Mercia. I am really honoured that I have been recognised alongside others who are doing amazing things. Ewan's dad said, we are extremely proud of Ewan and it's lovely to see all of his hard work recognised alongside some really exceptional young people. The City Council could be given the power to fine and prosecute people who feed girls and cycle and skateboard in a dangerous manner despite a lack of support from members of the public in a survey. On Wednesday, October the 30th, Worcester City Council Communities Committee is set to consider a report that proposes introducing a Public Spaces Protection Order, or a PSPO, allowing for £100 fixed penalty notices and court prosecution. The members will examine the proposals for the City Centre PSPO before being asked to agree to launch a four-week public consultation. This follows the results of a survey of residents carried out by the Council in March and April that ask for views on a wide range of antisocial behaviour which included public urinating and defecating. However, ideas for tackling several offences highlighted by members of the public have been ruled out by the proposed PSPO, either because of a low level of support or because the police already have relevant powers, a council spokesman said. While just 44% of people supported the inclusion of powers to control the feeding of birds, the proposed order includes action to curb the activity, although only in relation to gulls and pigeons. Similarly, less than 40% of the survey responded uh, supported the inclusion of dangerous cycling and skateboarding in the PSPO. But after consulting partners, including the police and Worcester bid, it was decided to include it in the draft because of the impact such behaviour can have on people in the city centre, the spokesman said. 62% of respondents favoured including aggressive begging, i.e. approaching people to beg, loitering near ATMs, and causing distress, but only 41% back the inclusion of powers to prevent people sitting or standing for begging. The report says that the fixed penalty notices would only be issued for aggressive begging after other channels of action had been exhausted. 
It says the starting point will always be for rough sleeper support services to approach an individual to offer help with the aim of helping them back into accommodation. Councillor Lynn Denham, committee vice chair, said the draft is as a result of the council having listened carefully to the views of local people about which aspects of antisocial behaviour most concern them. That's it. Well, I can't mm. match the story about a ghostly bear, but this next article is nevertheless a serious issue worthy of consideration. UK drug laws are utterly failing us. The city's Green Party leader had voice, has voiced his support for the decriminalisation of drug use, in part to curb the number of inmates in overcrowded prisons. City councillor and parliamentary candidate Louis Stephen said Britain's drug laws are utterly failing and must be overhauled in light of a new government report which encouraged decriminalisation. Published last week, the Health and Social Care Committee's report called for a health-focused and harm-reduction approach, which it believes would benefit users and reduce wider community harm and costs. The committee encouraged drug possession for personal use to be reduced to a civil matter, with the UK having some of the highest drug death rates in Europe to the scale of a public health emergency. Councillor Stephen, whose views mirror those long held by his party, went on to say, users are not criminals, they are victims. Every death caused by drugs is a tragedy. These are potentially our sons and daughters dying needlessly due to our failing system. Taking drugs can lead to a downward spiral of mental health breakdown, unemployment and homelessness. We need to treat this as a health epidemic, not criminalise people foolish enough to get involved in this stuff. Councillor Stephen, who represents Battenhall on the City Council, said official figures show drug-related offences account for 15% of prisoners while many offenders can be drawn into using more serious substances while behind bars. Many burglaries are committed by people feeding a drug habit. Clearly, looking at the evidence, locking up drug addicts does not work. If we are to seriously get the softer gateway drugs under control, we should legalise and regulate their supply, as well as decriminalising people who use them. The HSCC report also said, following budget cuts of nearly 30% over the past three years, the government must now direct significant investment into drug treatment services as a matter of urgency. This investment should be accompanied by a centrally coordinated clinical audit to ensure that guidelines are being followed in the best interests of vulnerable patients. Ed Davis, Director of Policy at the Centre for Social Justice, said, however, moves to decriminalise drugs would be a dangerously regressive step and hit the poorest hardest.
He did, though, agree with the report's views on learning from Portugal in terms of treatment and support. Mr Davis mm. added that the addiction mm. treatment mm. sector desperately needs a renewed vision as well as finance. Well, this story is entitled Dozens are Rescued from Cars in Floods. The emergency services rescued people from just under 40 vehicles stranded in flood wars in Worcestershire and Herefordshire over the weekend. These included three people stuck in a car in Green Lane, Droitwich, on Saturday morning, which saw police officers and dogs, firefighters and an ambulance crew all mucking in to get them to safety. Another instance saw a 17-year-old boy rescued from his car in Millbank, Fladbury, on Sunday morning, after it had been caught up in the floods. The Met Office put a yellow weather warning for heavy rain in place for 24 hours at 3pm on Friday, with some flooding expected across much of England and Wales. However, issues continued even after the rain had stopped. Taking to Twitter, Michael Cadman of Hereford and Worcester Fire Service said, between 9am on Saturday and 7am on Sunday, HWFRS rescued 70 people from flood-related incidents, including 64 adults, three children, three teenagers, also three dogs, three cats and two hamsters. A total of 38 <laughs> incidents with rescues were attended, of which 36 involved cars in flood water. He added, rescue to duty for control staff, um, and, res and response to officers to number of teleconferences to assist with partner collaboration. <laughs> the service's fire control Twitter page said on Sunday morning, we are still taking calls to occupants trapped in cars in flood water. It then warned people not to risk driving through flooded roads. In Worcester, a brook in Martley Road was partially flooded just below Tesco Express on Saturday, with many vehicles braving the water to cross. While the heavy rain also caused flooding to the left lane on Bridge Street and Hilton Road had considerable surface water between Sabrina Bridge and McDonald's, as were the other places in the city. One witness described A44 Brumyard as now a river, adding lots of water if you're driving that way. Flood warnings were in place across Worcester on Sunday, with the river's water level still high. A Worcester care home is celebrating after being shortlisted for a trio mm -hmm. of awards. Care UK's Perry Manor in Charles Hastings Way has been shortlisted for the title of Midlands and Wales Care Home of the Year in the National Caring UK Awards. The awards reward and celebrate excellence and team effort in care homes in the UK. Adding to the award shortlist success, the home's manager, Catherine Matthews, has been shortlisted for two awards which recognise the quality and innovative nature of the work she has been doing at the home mm -hmm. since being appointed as manager in 2017. Mm -hmm. Catherine, who has previously won awards for her work, is now shortlisted for the Care Home Registered Manager Award mm -hmm. in the West Midlands Division of the Great British Care Awards and the Best Dementia Care Manager Award at the National Dementia Care Awards. Both accolades are designed to recognise individuals who have demonstrated excellence within their field of work. Catherine and members of the team at Perry Manor adopt a person-centred approach, advocate activity-based care and provide a range of ways in which residents can lead their lives as independently as possible, as well as ensuring personal well-being. A spokesman said, Perry Manor's exceptional approach to care is inspired by Catherine, who encourages every member of the home's team to holistically care for each resident. 
team members are empowered and expect to take time out from their tasks to understand and address the well-being of the whole person, their physical, emotional, social and mental health needs. With 23 years of experience working in care, Catherine always goes the extra mile to look after people and ensure support is available for everyone from residents to team members and relatives. Catherine said, I'm very proud that Perry Manor and my work at the home have been shortlisted for a trio of awards, but I am even more proud of my team and their extraordinary commitment to residents and the home. Every day we strive to enable people to have happy and fulfilled lives. We have the privilege of working in the residents' home, which is a golden rule that must always be remembered. The winners of all three awards will be announced later in the year. Now, here's a piece about museums. Museums Worcestershire has a fascinating Egyptian collection originally donated by Worcester Girls Grammar School which contained objects from the ancient cemeteries in the areas Haraja and Lahn. The archaeological excavation started in 1913 and was interrupted by the First World War before being completed after it ended in 1918. It is unclear exactly how the collection came into the Worcester Girls Grammar School's ownership, but it is thought that a certain Miss Frost, who worked at the school, may have been related to a member of the expedition crew as they shared a surname. Within the collection are several examples of the Wadjet Eye, which is pictured here, these good luck amulets were often placed within the wrappings of a mummy before being laid inside the tomb for burial as either protective symbols or to help the individual through the complexity of the afterlife. The eye is one of the most common symbols associated with ancient Egypt as it had many different meanings in Egyptian mythology, which differed depending on which way it is represented. The left eye represents the powerful falcon-headed god Horus and is associated with the moon. Lunar Horus embodied healing and regeneration, thought to bring safety to the wearer and letting the head pass into the afterlife without danger. The eye looking right symbolises the sun god Re or Ra. Very much like the eye of Horus, the eye of Ra has a protective element and wards off evil spirits. If you're feeling brave this Halloween, join us at the Commandery for Spooks and Scares this half-term. Between Tuesday, October the 29th and Friday, November the 1st, Join the fun and games, including a broomstick obstacle race, find the potion ingredients, and pin the wart on the witch. There will also be Halloween-themed crafts running noon to 1pm and 1pm to 2pm every day. Right, here's a short article which raises the spirits. It's entitled Free Travel for Veterans Heading to the Capital. West Midland Railway is playing its part in the upcoming Remembrance Day commemorations by offering discounted travel to poppy collectors, armed forces personnel and veterans.
Worcestershire veterans heading to the Cenotaph Memorial Service in London on Sunday, November the 10th, are being offered free travel to and from the capital when wearing military uniform or on production of a Ministry of Defence ID card. Meanwhile, volunteers from the county heading to Birmingham City Centre to line the streets on its designated Poppy Day, Tuesday, November the 5th, are being provided a free return journey to all author authorised collectors taking part in the event. Armed Forces personnel and veterans who are members of the Defence Discount Scheme can also benefit from 20% off advance rail tickets over the remembrance period and all year round. Andy Camp, Commercial Director at West Midlands Railway, said... Our armed forces, past and present, are rightly hailed as inspirational individuals who have done so much for our country down the ages and continue to do so today. Through offering free or discounted travel for collectors attending Poppy Day in Birmingham, and veterans attending memorial services by train, we are able to say thank you in our own small way. Well, here we have a story entitled Parents Measure Children's Feet Once a Year. A poll of 1,000 UK parents with children aged 4 to 10 years show that properly fitting school shoes is low on their ever-growing list of priorities. The poll, conducted by Start Right Shoes, says 37% of parents only get their child's feet measured once a year. Well, one in five parents don't know if their child's current school shoes are the right size. Additionally, nearly a third, 30%, of parents surveyed have bought their school shoes for their child several times without getting their feet measured at all. The research found, instead, that activities such as helping with homework, 63%, reading bedtime stories, 57%, and bath time, 36%, took precedence. The firm says the wrong size school shoes not only affect children's physical development, potentially causing future foot health problems, but can also have an impact on children's concentration and focus in the classroom. It encouraged parents to use the half-term holidays to ensure their children are wearing the right size school shoes. However, Kate Tansy, CEO of Start Right Shoes, added, We understand how busy family life can be and that it can be difficult for parents and guardians to fit everything in. Commuters are gaining two extra rail carriages to reduce congestion on busy services between Worcester and Birmingham. <laughs> About time. But campaigners say they will wait and see if the changes work. West Midlands Rail has announced it has acquired two additional carriages to be added to key services running between Worcester and Birmingham at peak times. The carriages have been borrowed from sister company East Midlands Railway until mid-December. The aim is to get these trains on the route by the end of October to strengthen the 7.09am Hereford to New Street and the 1.50 and 4.20pm departures from Birmingham New Street to Hereford. Joe Marta, who regularly uses the trains between Worcester and Birmingham, has been calling for increased capacity for several months. She said, It is a bit of an improvement. I'm not sure what effect the lunchtime service will have or who it will really benefit. The 4.20 service will make a difference, but the 3.49 service would still be particularly unpleasant. She added, 
If they add this coach to the 7.09am, prevent others from breaking down almost daily, and if they provide crews, then we'll be back to London Midland level poor standards that they inherited. The proposed changes are lasting until mid-December, at which point West Midlands Rail say they will have additional electric trains allowing West Midlands Rail to reallocate their own diesel trains to support the Hereford-Worcester New Street line. The changes also include, from mid-November, all Hereford New Street Sunday services becoming five cars instead of three for the Christmas markets. Mrs Martha said the changes were a fudge adding, we will have to wait and see. If they don't come good on what they have promised, having said they will do this and they will do that, it will be vile at Christmas. The new train carriages were secured with the help of local MPs Robin Walker and Harriet Baldwin, who attended a meeting with West Midlands Rail to discuss commuters' concerns. Worcester MP Mr Walker said, Harriet and I met with West Midlands Railways at the House of Commons earlier this month and insisted that WMR scour the rail network for more carriages. It is a huge relief to know there will be extra carriages as soon as the end of this week, but I hope West Midlands Railways will realise Worcestershire commuters need a better service. And lastly, old coins wanted to spur memories. Donations of old coins are being requested by a care home to help jog the memories of older people. Staff at Perry Manor Care Home hope the pounds, shillings and pence could help their residents remember the earlier years and spark conversations about the memories. Tiffany Thompson, lead lifestyle coordinator, said the idea for this scheme came about after talking to residents. To be able to see and hold the old currency once again will offer residents a fantastic opportunity to reminisce, hopefully sparking long-forgotten memories, especially beneficial for people living with dementia. Professor Dawn Brooker, Director of the University of Worcester Association for Dementia Studies, said this scheme is a really good idea. I've never heard of something like this being done before in the UK. If someone struggles with their short-term memory, possibly with dementia, their confidence can be gained by using their long-term memory, holding conversations with their friends. We all like to talk about the past as humans. Well done, Perry Manor, on starting this initiative. Mm. Perry Manor team members are happy to collect the coins from people living in Worcester and surrounding areas. All coins can be dropped into the home at Charles Hasting Way, Worcester. Now we've reached the end of our recorded edition. Thank you to Moira, Paddy and Jules... And, ba for, and Barry, of course, for reading and recording. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next week. So we'll say our goodbyes and then there will, of course, be those obituaries if you wish to listen to them. So best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye, -bye. And now the obituaries. Richard Allen. It is with the greatest of sadness we announce the passing of Richard Allen. Now resting in peace on October the 21st in Cyprus, aged 50. No funeral arrangements were given. Caroline Margaret George, née Smith of Worcester, 
passed away peacefully at Latimer Court Care Home with her family around her on October the 24th, 2019, <clears throat> aged 83 years. Funeral service will take place at Whittington Church on Monday, November the 4th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Geoffrey Kendall George, former dentist and resident of Worcester, passed away peacefully in hospital on October the 18th, aged 76 years. A service will be held at the Chapel of St Bede, Teesside Crematorium, Middlesbrough, TS57HD, on Monday 4th of November at 2.30pm. Family, flowers only. Kay Clark passed away after a short illness aged 80 years. The funeral service will be held at Vale Crematorium, Flagbury, on Friday, November the 8th at 11am. Family flowers only, please. Winifred Holden, knee chip, of Kemsey, on October the 28th, 2019, peacefully in Re Regent Residential Care Home, St John's, aged 88 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, November the 12th at 11.30am. Family flowers only. And Gordon Hawkes passed away on Monday, October the 21st, 2019. Michael Mullen, nobody had a better life than me, danced away age 81 from Cheltenham General Hospital at 6.28am on Friday, October the 25th. The funeral has taken place. Margaret Rose Jones passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on October the 20th, aged 78 years. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, November the 4th at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Malcolm John Ennis, <coughs> or Ennis, formerly of Pinvin, on October the 16th, 2019, peacefully at the Mill House, Kington, aged 79 years. His funeral service will be at Pershaw Abbey on Wednesday, November the 6th at 10.30am, followed by a private internment at Pinvin. <coughs> Gillian Spinner passed peacefully away on October the 16th, aged 76 years. She will be sadly missed by all her family and friends. Funeral service on Tuesday, November the 5th at Worcester Crematorium at 9.15am. Family flowers only, please, with donations for the Stroke Association. Peter Mark Lou passed peacefully away on October the 16th, aged 86. His funeral service will take place at Register. Redditch, whoops, sorry, Redditch Crematorium on Monday, November the 11th at 1.15pm. Family flowers only, please. Mm -hmm. 